God is always asking us to give to him first because it shows our faith. It shows where our faith really resides, who we're trusting in, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm, that we give to him first. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, as we just simply think about you and give you praise, in the midst of the challenges of life, and there are many, in the midst of setbacks in life and disappointments and bad decisions, our sinfulness, Lord, we just simply cling to You today. God, I know that life is hard and so many people are struggling on so many levels, and yet, God, I pray that we will press into You deeper. I pray that we will run hard after Your glory. I pray that we will be fervent about being a disciple of King Jesus. And God, I pray there would be just a stirring like never before to go and make disciples. So Father, as You speak from Your Word today, my fear is that we would hear from a human man And if we hear from a human man, we all lose. But when we hear from you, Jesus, the man, we win. And so, Father, just simply, would you move and stir? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken. I pray that you would set the captives free today. I pray that You would remove the blinders and the scales, the the deafness spiritually that perhaps some of us have that we're sleepwalking spiritually through life, God. I pray that that You would stir in a mighty way. So Father, as we open Your Word, as we pause right now and we're quieting our hearts and asking You, God, would You speak? Would you speak? Would you comfort our weary souls? Comfort our broken hearts? Take the folly of our sin and as we repent and turn from it, O oh God, that we would yield ourselves fully to you, not partially, but fully. And God, as we do that, I pray that we would be renewed with a purpose that You will take our mess and through repentance and contrition, You can create the message. And so, O Lord, we submit to You. Move me out of the way so that we just hear from You and see You. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and let's turn to James 
chapter 5, James chapter 5, and as we are in these 40 days of prayer, if you do not have a prayer guide, I pray you would grab one of those. Uh, We have several in the back there, and so we want to be in the Word, because when we're in the Word, that's when God really does amazing things, amen? When we dig deep, when we pray, and we're going to see that from today, a glorious example from God's truth, from His Word, of the power of a praying person. The power of a praying person. You know our theme, we're all in for God's glory in 21, and I pray you are. And the challenge so often that I see as we lead into this verse is, as I've been thinking a lot recently about the state of Christianity in America, I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been praying a lot about this and asking the Lord to open my eyes, to reveal to me, O oh God, where I need to repent. God, show me my wickedness. A stir in me, God, something fresh and new that I don't want to be a casual Christian. I, I don't want to be halfway in. I don't want to just kind of float around in life, but, but I want to be all in for His glory. And as I was thinking through that thought, it, it dawned on me, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. We live in an American Christian culture, we'll call it, even though Our country is far from Christian. We were founded on biblical principles. That's a true statement. But we are in a post-Christian culture. And I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this thought, and it's simply this, that so often, and I'm guilty of this, I'm speaking to me, but so often we will have spiritually hard hearts and spiritually soft spines. When the Bible has called us to just the opposite. When the Bible has called me and you to have spiritually soft hearts. Flexible hearts, pliable, that are not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And so often we have this hard heart, this defiant heart that that rebels and does not want to go God's way. And Yet when spiritual matters come on the scene and we have to make the tough calls and the tough decisions in our homes, our businesses, our ball teams, so often we can have spiritually soft spines. It's just easy to sit on our hands and do nothing and look the other way. And yet we're going to see today from God's Word an individual who had a spiritual soft heart. And he had... He had a spine of spiritual titanium. That's my desire. Is that your desire today? That you'd be that man, that woman, that student, that, that you live on the edge for Christ, that, that you don't get to the end with regret, that even the bad choices we've made, and everyone in this room, we've made bad decisions. I, at the top of the list, I've made some wicked decisions in my life. Aren't you glad, as we just sang, that our chains are gone? Our debt is paid. The cross has done what? Overthrown the grave. Because Jesus' blood has set me free. It means death to death and life. Did you catch that? And life. For me. 
What a glorious thought because consumer Christianity, cultural Christianity has been running rampant. and We have to stop playing games with God. We've got to get to the point where we no longer play games. We're just too comfortable in America being comfortable. We've got to get to a point where this is real, it's vibrant, and as we talked last week, it all goes back to the rescue. When you truly understand your rescue, the last thing you want to do is play games with God. Because you see what it cost His Son. You see what you've been rescued from. You've been saved from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. For those that are really in, not playing games, you don't want to play games. I mean, you want to be all in for God's glory to make a difference. And yet we live in this culture that promotes this. See, as a pastor, my mission-critical task is to feed you the glorious truths of God's Word. This is my task. It's my honor. It's my privilege to feed you as I feed myself first. The glorious truths. You open these pages and there's just truth all under God's Word, all in God's Word. There's truth, there's hope, there's life for your brokenness today. No matter what you've done, listen closely, no matter what you've done today, you are never too far out of reach of the grace of God. You're not there. His grace is deeper still. As you think through that thought, you... We understand that we live in a culture where tickling the ears is the diet of the day. What makes you feel good? And it's so easy to have our ears tickled while we live in disobedience, apathy, indifference, spiritual laziness. I think Jared Wilson said it best when he said these words. In seeker-oriented worship, we direct a steady diet of how-to at people who yet to receive a heart full of want-to. See, in the seeker model, we go here, this is how you do this. This is how you handle your finances. This is how you be a better dad, a better wife, a better parent, a better employee. All good things in and of themselves. But here's the issue. This steady diet of how-to, when it's directed at people who don't have a heart full of want-to, that don't have a heart that understands their rescue, all this will do is perpetuate a cycle of stupidity of more bad decisions. Now, I would argue that when you get people to hunger for a heart of want to, they begin to realize that the want to is just simply, I want to be like Jesus. And when you really begin to have a group of people that all they want to do is be like Jesus, being a better dad, being a better mom, being a better parent, being a better whatever, fill in the blank, just takes care of itself. And yet what happens is we seem like in our culture we want to do everything and anything to address any and every issue other than our sin. 
That's why the title today of the message is simply this, The Prayers of Elijah. The Prayers of Elijah. Not the days of Elijah, the prayers of Elijah. And here's what God's holy word says in James chapter 5 as we continue this not only verse-by-verse study of James, but literally word-by-word. In the coming weeks, we will conclude this series in the book of James. And do you understand this? This is pretty cool when you think about it. We will have dissected every word in the book of James. Every word. Now, that will fill your heart. See, that's meaty. That's weighty. That when you go through the crisis, that you go to work on Monday morning and you don't understand how things are going to work out. You don't understand why your marriage is falling apart. You don't get at the sinful choices that others have made that are impacting you. That's what you're going to sink your teeth into. It's going to carry you through life. And here James says these beautiful words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verses 17 and 18 of James 5. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Underline that. Don't miss that. Very key. And he prayed, how? Fervently. Why? That it might not rain. Result, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Okay, just ponder this for a moment. Let this sink in. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Two of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture about the power of prayer. But when you understand the power of prayer, you begin to understand where the power really resides. See, as we make our way through this glorious chapter 5 of James, that you remember that we started there in several verses preceding. And if you recall there that we were in this section there all about spiritual weakness and suffering and even used the word sickness, and there's great debate on that, what it really is meaning We came out of the conclusion of that, that there's a spiritual suffering, weakness going on. However, we do pray for those that are physically sick. Amen. But in the context, we see very clearly of this suffering mindset, this theme that's going on and on through the book of James. And then all of a sudden here in verse 16, preceding our two verses today, you see these glorious words, therefore... In light of what was just said, do what? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So it's a combo package. It's a combo deal that for you and I that are really in for Christ, that he is just not an add-on benefit, but he really is our life, confessing and praying to one another and for one another is mission critical. You will never develop the intimacy in your home or your church if you're not confessing to one another and if you're not praying for one another. It won't happen. It will continue to be a surface level that never gets to the root. And that's always the issue. My sin, your sin, there's always a root there. And the root, ultimately, we can argue justifiably from Scripture, is this thing called the me monster. It's all about an inward focus 
And the inward is we have pride. The inward could be we have self-pity. It's, it's all about we turn inward versus outward and versus upward. And when you look at the Scriptures here, you see so clearly that you may be healed. Verse 16, the prayer, what of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So this is very interesting when you look at this text here. The prayer of a righteous person, the last part of verse 16, has great power as it's working. And now all of a sudden, as we study each word in context, all of a sudden what happens, James, by the power and inspiration, illumination of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden after that one phrase, this one phrase, here's what he says, Elijah. So do we, come on, you're smart, do we deduct from a flow of context that Elijah was righteous and his prayers had great power. Well, it's interesting when you look at verse 17, the answer is very clear. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And what for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Has anyone ever lived anywhere where it didn't rain for three years and six months? Anyone? That's a long time. I mean, rain is mission critical. Water is the life source. And you could take that even deeper from the spiritual context that Jesus says this, I am the fountain of living waters. So many people are going through a spiritual drought today. They're literally living in a spiritual desert today. By their own making, they're living in a parched land in their life, in their home, their business, their ball team, their church. And Jesus says, I'm over here. Like, I'm right here. I'm the fountain of living water. I will heal you. I will cleanse you. I will take your wounds. I will take your brokenness. I will take your pain. I can just not restore you, but I can completely make you new. You've got to realize that hurting people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. Broken people break people. That's what happens in this fleshly life, this humanness we live in. And if we're not feasting on a steady diet of the truths of God's Word. What's in us when the pressure cooker is turned up will come out of us. See, Elijah was a man. I love this. With a nature like ours. In other words, James is saying, look, he is not super Christian. He had sin. Just like you and I. He had doubts and worries and fears. We're going to see that here in a moment. But in the midst of that, and that's the point, there's an example here that we can relate to. Has someone ever talked to you? Maybe it's a boss who said, hey, I want you to go do X in your employment. And that boss has never done X. And you're like, you don't have any clue. You don't have any idea what X really even is because you've never done it. You read it in a book. You read it on a blog. Uh, someone said this, now you're doing that, but you have no true experience in it. No, Elijah is a man. He was a man just like you and I. I find it interesting that 
His name means God is Jehovah. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Anyone's name here in the church house today, does your name mean God is Jehovah? Pretty cool, isn't it? So here's this Elijah, and he's got this nature that's, that's fleshly, that yes, is sinful, that's human. He's hungry, and he's weak at times. He's fearful. He suffered. We can relate. And what did he choose to do, though? See, this is the key. In the midst of his humanity that was broken, what did he choose to do from this verse? Not a trick question. He prayed. This is so key. He prayed. He communicated to God. And I want you to think through this. What was the result? How did he pray? Think about this, church. How did he pray? Was he lazy in it? Was he kind of like, well, you know what? I think prayer is really all about me. I think prayer is about God conforming to my will. I think that prayer... This is what Elijah said. I think prayer is me strong-arming God, trying to twist his arm that he's not going my way. Someone convince him to go, to go my way, and someone is going to strong-arm him into this. Is that how he's praying? You see a heart here. It says fervently. He's praying nonchalantly. No. Is he praying passively? No. There's a fervency to his prayer. So check this out, church. So He's a man just like you and I. We relate to him, and yet he made an intentional decision to be a man of fervent prayer. Literally this, he's praying earnestly. He's impassioned. He has zeal. There's an urgency. There's a a desperation as he's praying. He's determined. There's an intensity. He's praying hard. You could say it like this. He is pounding on the door of heaven. And he won't relent. He's missile-locked. And what was the result of the prayer in this instance? Pretty wild, isn't it? Three and a half years of no rain. (laughs) Does this mean that every time that we pray fervently that God is going to answer our prayers exactly how we want? No. But we're missing the point of prayer. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But first, I want to give you key number one. I want you to write this down. It's simple, but we got to preach this to ourselves. Key number one, even though we are broken people on all levels, so even though we are broken people on all levels, there is power in fervent, desperate, Humble prayer to God. Amen? Who in the church house today is broken besides me? Anyone else? I'm a broken person. If you don't think you're broken, if you're that prideful to say that, that you're not broken, think about this thought. The cross is an extreme, beautiful example of how broken we really are, that we can't fix ourselves. When you look at a cross and you think about what Christ did for you, that He gave His life, that He died this death, He is sinless in all He did, and that He dies this death to take my place and your place, that cross shows us we're beyond self-repair. Even though we're broken people on all levels, there's power and fervent, desperate, humble prayer to God. We're in 40 days of prayer right now. 
when you take that sheet, that prayer guide, and you read the Scripture for the day, and you answer the question, are you and I, are we praying desperate, broken, pounding on the door of heaven prayers? Or are we praying in such a vein that it's not even believing our own prayers? We know it's a bad sign that when God answers our prayers that we're surprised. We know that's a bad sign, right? He answers and we're like, what's going on here? This is amazing. No, we need to become a people. I need to become a pastor that when we pray, that we're expecting God at a very minimum to change us. There's a desperation there. I want to be more like Christ should be our first prayer. God, today's another day. I just want to be like Jesus. I want to live for him because I know this. He's the fountain of living waters. He's the bread of life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. He's the peace. Like if you're looking for P-E-A-C-E today, there's only one place you'll find it, and his name is Jesus. That's the whole problem with our culture. We're looking for peace in every other avenue except Jesus. Better show up and I'll tell you how to be a better dad. Show up and you want to manage your finances? Hey, we got a sermon series for you. I've been around churches, not making this up. They've given out lollipops, dollar bills, you name it, anything to attract a crowd. And by the time the crowd gets there, because I've listened to some of these sermons, there isn't any substance. There's nothing to sink your teeth into. It's like you feel better when you leave, but what happens is you get out of there going, man, what actually just happened? Because it's when, not if, the crises of life hit. When? Where will you turn? Where will you run? When the bottom falls out of your life, where will you run to? We run to what we believe is holding us up. And if everything but Jesus is holding us up, we run to it. And here's what we realize. We've been hanging on to a house that's built on popsicle sticks. And it begins to crumble. That's why fervent prayer is so important. Jonathan Edwards said it like this, prayer is the revival. Love that. That is the revival. Lord, bring the revival. We pray that all the time. I pray that. That actually, when we begin to pray like Elijah, and it's fervent, and it's desperate, and we're like, God, even if you don't go our way in this prayer, even if your answer is no, though you may slay me, I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to follow you all the days of my life. Do you begin to see in that type of prayer how the revival is beginning to well up in the prayer? But if we're just praying, hey, God, bring the revival. Bring the revival. We'll never see the revival. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. 
That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I love 1 Kings 17.1. Write this down as a supporting text there. Write that down as a supporting text. 1 Kings 17.1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, anyone from Tishbe? Said to Ahab, as the Lord, love this, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Do you believe that our God is not dead, but fully alive? Do you believe that today? He goes on and says these powerful words, before whom I stand. Don't miss that. You got to remember, he's talking, James is talking to a Jewish culture. They know about Elijah. They've heard all about this guy. Well, like he's the Michael Jordan, if you will, of, of their faith. They know about Elijah. There shall what? Be neither dew nor rain these years except my word. Do you see this? When he says these words, this is very important. When Elijah's saying here in 1 Kings, before whom I stand, like don't miss this. Just grab onto this meat for a second here. In that culture, when you prayed... You weren't just kind of like laying down. Uh, this wasn't one of those, God, how's it going? Good to have you on my team, God. No, this was a, a holy awe and reverence. When he says, before whom I stand, this is not filler. He's like, you're it. There's none other. I stand amazed in your presence. There's a humility there. There's a contrition there's a brokenness, but there's also power, and there's fervency and the desperation. So just think for a moment, I want to backtrack here to give you context. Here's your homework assignment. So at some point today, I want you to read 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. There are three chapters I want you to read those. Just start in verse 1 of 17 and go all the way through. You're going to see an incredible narrative of this guy named Elijah. Amazing. And here he is in verse 1 there. We just see that at 17. And he's pronouncing what? There's going to be this drought. Not in his own strength, but in God's strength. He's tapping into the power of God. And there's a boldness that happens for the man, the woman, the student, the child that taps into the power of God. It creates a fear of him, not a fear of man. We're going to see here in a moment that Elijah was bold. He did not fear man in the least. And that's what happens when God grips your heart. When he gets a hold of you and I, we're not fearing man. We are, oh, wait a minute. I stand amazed in your presence. And here Elijah is, and he pronounces this drowned. And you think through that narrative as it weaves, and right there in the early parts of 17, it says this, that God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And then he says, wait a minute, I want to send you to this widow in in Zarephath, and I've commanded her to feed you. And so Elijah goes to Zarephath, and there she is gathering sticks, and she's pretty discouraged and frustrated and has some flour and some oil and looking like it's going to run out, looking like the provision, the bank account's getting really, really low, 
and it's really easy to begin to panic, and what do we do, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, what do we do? And what, what do you see in the text there? You see that Elijah goes, hey, I want you to go do something for me. Hey, get me some water. Oh, wait a minute, I got another assignment for you. I need you to go do this. I need you right now in the midst of this discouragement, I need you to go make me, make me some food first before you feed you and your son. See, God is always asking us to give to Him first because it shows our faith. It shows where our faith really resides, who we're trusting in in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm, that we give to Him first. And the text goes on and says that as she obeys in that command, it says this, that the bin of flour and the jar of oil never ran dry. Awesome, isn't it? I think so often there's people all across our country that unfortunately their spiritual bins of flour and spiritual bins of oil are perpetually dry because they've never first given their life to Christ. And here Elijah's bold and he He then ministers to the widow's son who's dying, and then all of a sudden the narrative shifts there in chapter 18 that you're going to see there when you read later. And what do you see so beautifully that in that chapter 18, you see that Elijah goes to the king, Ahab. Anytime you talk to a king named Ahab, buckle up, right? His name's Ahab, and he's married to this really kind lady named Jezebel. Yikes, oh yikes. And put it this way, they hate God like more than life itself. They hate Him. And he goes to Ahab. He's bold because he's standing in the power of God. He goes in the midst of Ahab and he says, look, I'm here. And what does Ahab say? He's like, oh, you troubler of Israel. And what happens? Elijah goes, wait a minute, I'm not the troubler. You are. He literally says, you're the problem. And he says, I got an idea. Once you get those 450 prophets of Baal, those 400 prophets of Asherah, let's go have a, a, a gathering at Mount Carmel. And as you read this narrative later, you're going to see he goes to Mount Carmel and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all your prophets, your hundreds of prophets, you take the bull, you cut it up, and I want you to call down fire from heaven. And so they do this, and they begin to cry out, and they are whining, and they are pleading to their fake little G-gods, and you know what's happening, absolutely nothing. They're praying to a big bag of nothing is what they're doing. Nothing is happening. They are praying. They're cutting themselves. At one point, Elijah's making fun of them. He's actually taunting them, saying, where's your gods? Where are they? They sleep at the wheel. And so once this nonsense is over, what happens? Elijah goes, we're getting down to business. And right there he says, assemble the altar. He takes 12 stones, one for each tribe, and he sets them up. And what does he do? Oh, here we go. He begins to pray. He begins to pray. I mean, he's praying with power. He is praying with power. He's believing that the fire is going to come from heaven. And sure enough, what happens? You know the story. Well, the fire came from heaven, but here's the glorious part of this. Before he actually prayed, he said, wait a minute. I only take four jars, fill them with water, dump it on the sacrifice. 
Do it once, do it twice, do it three times. This thing is soaking drenched. There is no way humanly possible, zero way humanly possible, that fire could ignite this offering. But we don't operate according to the human. We operate according to God, amen? And the fire falls from heaven, and sure enough, boom. And then Elijah takes the prophets and he slaughters them. As the people are beginning to see with their eyes how great our God is. I wonder what happened in my heart and your heart and my home and your home and our church if we begin to pray like Elijah. I mean, pray. Just pray. Will God necessarily bring what we want? I can't promise you that, but I know this. Here's what He's going to do. When we begin to pray like Elijah, at a very minimum, He's going to change my heart and He's going to change yours. Because maybe that's the whole point. Maybe God's will as you're praying is not to change the situation, but maybe God's will is that He would change you. You think through these thoughts and it really begins to stir in my heart because the intoxicating allure of sin is is not that we begin to worship the sin. That's actually just the symptom. Church, remember, it's all about root and fruit. And we often address the fruit of the issue and we never get to the root of the issue. The intoxicating allure of sin is not that we're worshiping the sin. The intoxicating allure is we fall madly in love with the worship of self. That's it. Garden of Eden. Satan didn't say worship me. He said, you will be like God. Music to our ears, isn't it? And we begin to turn inward instead of outward, and especially instead of upward. This merry-go-round of sinful folly as we're caught in the cords of sin. So look at the second part here, verse 18, as we're journeying through the last portion of this text today. It says here, Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, so then he prayed again. So literally in the Greek, he's talking about repetition. He's doing this over and over. I, I pray that you sense this and see this, that, that there's something about persistent, persevering prayer. There's something about it. The house church movement in China, they, they live these verses. They live them. They're not distracted by all the nonsense like we are. They realize Jesus really is the only thing, and they meet for hours upon hours. They pray, they teach, they disciple, they sing. They're the most joyful people, and if they get caught, they could be executed or imprisoned at a minimum. Go figure. But they're men and women of prayer. And they pray, and Elijah prayed, and he The heaven gave, it poured forth, it delivered the rain finally. The earth bore, bore, it yielded, it produced, it brought forth the fruit. 
the result, if you will. You've got to remember, don't forget this. So the context here in chapter 5 in these verses have a theme of suffering. Don't you think this would be a great example when you think about this? Of how rain refreshes us when we're in a spiritual drought. Again, Jesus, I'm the fountain of living waters, He says. He who comes to me will never thirst again. Like never. Have you ever been like outside working and it's hot? Not today, of course, but it's hot outside. And sure enough, man, you're sweating and you're parched and you just can't seem to get enough, right? The beauty of Christ is that when you really give your life to Christ, when it's true, not when it's false, not when you're half in, being half in is being totally out. No, when it's really real, you and I can live a life and should aim to live a life by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are forever, forever filled with Him and His goodness. And yet that's a challenge in the flesh. That's why key number two is so important, our last key. Here it is, key number two. Praying to God is not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. Let me say that again. Key number two, praying to God is not a one-time thing. It's a lifetime thing. I mean, did you catch this? Look in your Bible there in verses 17 and 18 again of James 5. So here's what happened. It's a real simple theme and a real simple process. Elijah prayed, and then he prayed again. So don't miss that. So he prayed. It's a good thing. And then he prayed again. He did not quit. I believe so often in the Christian walk, we give up way too easily. The pressure mounts, the stress is there, the suffering's there, and I believe there's many times that we're almost there, and we just simply quit. And it's easy to do, trust me, as a pastor, man, you want to quit like a thousand times, and that was just this morning, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to live this Christian life. It's not easy. And the whole point of living the Christian life is that you and I would not live it in our own strength. We would live it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. When I get tired and frustrated and discouraged, as I ponder the root, not the fruit, it's because I'm walking in my own strength. Paul prayed three times to remove what? The thorn. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Here Elijah's praying over and over. Do you see a theme here? There's a theme that we must be people that are praying. And we're praying again and again. There's no magical formula here because at the end of the day, you might pray 57 times and God still may not answer your prayers as you would like Comma, I assure you this, if you're praying with the right motive, saying, God, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, here's my heart's desire, here's what I would long to see happen, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, how can God not change you, the prayer? Because we've got to remember, prayer is not about us trying to get God to conform to our will. It's God conforming us to His will. Think about this, persevering, persistence. 
Think about that, just persevering persistence. Picture that. What, that. what does that look like in your mind? Persevering, persistent, pounding on the door of heaven, prayer bears fruit. It's going to bear fruit in your life. When you pray to God and you are just persistent and you are praying and you're praying and you're just wanting to shake God for His own glory in a good way, you're just holding on saying, God, I'm going to hang on for dear life. He's going to bear fruit in your life. God will often bear this fruit in a way that has multi-purpose though. But at a minimum, He's going to help change you and I. So here it is, 1 Kings 18.42. Write that down. 1 Kings 18.42. So Israel still needs rain. Elijah there on Mount Carmel. Fire from heaven. Slaughters the prophets. But they still need rain. And so look at 1 Kings 18.42. 1 Kings 18.42. It says this, As Ahab went up to eat and to drink, And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. So as we're journeying down the back slope of this mountain, so to speak, don't miss this. So first he's standing. In 17 of 1 Kings, he's saying, I stand amazed in your presence. And now here we are in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 42, and now he's bowing down. He's got his head between his knees. This doesn't sound like a guy who's nonchalantly and passively running into God's presence. This sounds like a guy who he gets it that God is the air that he breathes, that he is hanging on for dear life. And he is bowing, another sign of reverence. He has his face between his knees. It's humility. He's saying, look, I'm just going to bow down before you, and I'm going to plead with you, O God. I'm going to plead with you, O God, to do a work only you can do. Imagine if everyone in our church fellowship began to pray like that. Just imagine. Just pause for a moment and imagine what would begin to happen? That we just begin to pray. We're praying hard, with fervency, with intentionality, with urgency, with expectation. Imagine what would happen when we see the result. And as you read further later on today in that same chapter 18, Elijah had a servant and he says, hey, I want you to go down there by, by the sea. And what do you see? I don't see anything. Go back again. Go back again. Did the seven times. And on the seventh time, on the seventh time, he goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Servant pulls out his cell phone. A little FaceTime there with Elijah. Says, wait a minute. I see something. I see a cloud that's coming out of the sea the size of a man's hand. And God is now bringing the rain. The power of a praying person. It's recorded in Luke 4, 24-26 in the New Testament. And He said, Truly I say to you, 
No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land, and Elijah was sent, what? Was sent to none of them, but only to the widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. Did you catch this? Why was there a famine in the first place? Because you got Ahab and you got Jezebel, and they loved their idols, and they got the people of Israel to buy into this foolish evilness. Any idols we have in our lives must be crushed. We can't have any idols in our lives. If we bring idols into our homes or our church, God will not bless us. That's why Paul said it like this in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And you've got to remember before I read that, that here he is in Ephesians 6 and you know, 10 and following. He, he says, finally, finally at the end. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Him. You're depending. You're clinging. There's a tenacity and urgency. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Do you see the being in? Being strong in the Lord. Being strong in His power. Not in our own. He says, put on the whole armor of God. He lists the armor. He goes through all of that. And then he comes to verse 18 of chapter 6, and Paul says this, praying, here we go, here's our theme, praying at all times. How? In the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me. Why? That words may be given to me to open my mouth boldly. Are we catching this theme? Old Testament Elijah, New Testament Paul, same narrative. Prayer and boldness, prayer and boldness, prayer and boldness. The two go hand in hand to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am what? An ambassador in chains. He's imprisoned that I might declare it boldly. There it is again as I ought to speak. Paul knew this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of my God will stand forever. Paul knew this. Though Even though he was in chains, the word of God has never changed. It can set you free today. That's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is that you would get set free. Not be a church attender. There are going to be so many good church attenders that are going to hell. This is all about giving your life to Jesus. I know people sometimes wonder, why the passion? Well, I think it's manyfold. I think when you've walked on the dark side, you don't want anyone else to walk on the dark side. And I also believe like Paul believed. In Romans 9, 1-3. through Romans 9, 1-3, through says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself, Paul is saying, were cursed 
and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you see his passion here? Like, are we understanding this? Paul's saying this, I wish I was literally accursed and damned so my brothers could live in Christ. Man, that's a heavy weightiness that you just plead and you plead and you plead for people to wake up. Why? Because it's so easy to be spiritually asleep in 2021 in America. We do what we really want to do. True statement, isn't it? We do what we really want to do. And that's why the takeaway question is just simply these five words. Do I pray like Elijah? He's just a man. He's not perfect. But his heart was full of the Lord. His heart was full of the Lord. Do I, do you, do we pray like Elijah? Therefore, action step is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will strive to be a person of daily fervent prayer. Not in your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will strive to be a person of daily fervent prayer. There's passion in this. And that's why we must be practical. And how do we do this? Well, if you do want a little bit of how-to, prayerfully, you've got a whole bunch of want-to today. But if you want some how-to... Here it is. Resolve today to be a self-feeder. Resolve today to be a self-feeder. Be a self-feeder. There's 10,080 minutes in a week. If we spend 80 minutes together on a Sunday morning, I know for some it's a crisis in their life, 80 minutes. Do you understand this? That's less than 1% of your week. 1% less. 80 minutes if we devote 50 minutes of the 80 to hearing the truth of God's Word that will set us free, that will get us out of bondage. But let's say that we only do this a couple times a month. And let's take it even a step further. We only retain about 20% of what we hear. If we're not taking notes, we're just listening. On a good day, this is a good day, you're retaining 20%. That's a good day. I mean, that's a really good day. So on a really good day, we're retaining about 10 minutes. If we're here twice a month, we're retaining 20 minutes of the glorious truth that will set you free. It's like, here's the cure for the greatest disease. Huh? We're retaining 20 minutes if you're here twice a month. And do you realize this? There's 40,320 minutes in a month, a four-week month. 20 minutes out of 40,320. No wonder, no wonder our lives are imploding. But we do what we want to do. My prayer is that there will be a desire like never before to live for Christ. D.L. Moody said it like this. And this is many, many years ago when he said this, the great evangelist. There's one thing that I fear more than anything else, 
and that is the dead, cold formalism of the church of God. So many of us are just sleeping and slumbering while souls are perishing. Some are beginning to rub our eyes and get them half opened, but as a whole, we are asleep. Father, we come before You today, and God, I just pray for a mighty move of You. I'm deeply grieved for our country, for our community, for our homes, with great sorrow, as Paul said. Great sorrow. Unceasing anguish is in my heart right now. God, I pray that You would raise up some men, some women, some students, some children that their only goal is to be determined to live for Christ all the days of their lives. Not to be a spectator. Not just to watch the game go on from the sidelines. But to be in the game. To help advance the gospel football down the field. Oh God, I pray, would you stir in this time? Just do something, Lord. Move in a mighty way. For those that are sleepwalking spiritually, that are either here or watching online, God, I pray you would awaken them. Awaken them now. Time is fleeting. You're coming back. And my fear is there's going to be so many that well, their lampstands are going to be empty. So, Father, I ask, would you just move in such a way that only you can? Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, as we confess and repent. And God will give you this time because it's yours. To you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.